church. Come on, baby. Come on, we're back. Fantasy series. We're making it happen. I don't know what you said, but you're distracting me. Trying to preach up here. Oh, man, this Saturday, I'm, I'm in bed like it's, you know, we're sleeping in on Saturday, and uh, my phone rings like 7.20 a.m., and it's a buddy of mine. He's got some daughters, you know, I've got, some, I've got two daughters, and well, one of our oldest are the same age, and uh, I'm like, what's he doing calling at 7.20 in the morning on a Saturday? Like, brother's sleeping, like, what? And so, um, and so I answer the phone, and He's like, hey, here's what's going to happen. I'm like, okay, okay, I'm listening. He goes, I- I'm at 9.30. I'm going to pick you up in a Bentley GT Continental. We're going to drive to the Addison Airport. We're going to take a private jet to San Antonio. I got a limo waiting for us there. I got a limo waiting for us there, and we're going to take that to the Riverwalk. Uh, we're going to go eat lunch. We're going to take our daughters, our oldest daughters, same age, and, uh, and we're going to eat lunch, and then we'll take the limo back. I'm going to have you back home by 2.30 in the afternoon. And I'm like, dude, I thought I was watching soccer games today. You know, I, wow, I had no idea. I didn't know this was going to happen, you know. And so just in case you were with us last week, had a uh, you know, nice car on stage. Like private jets are not normal for me. Like I can count on one finger the number of times I've been on a private jet. And so, and so we go and, and we do this, right, and... Uh, we go over there to San Antonio, and then we go to the, the Riverwalk. We go to the Alamo. Remember the Alamo? And then right across the street from the Alamo is this tourist trap, right? It's like Ripley's Believe It or Not, you know, Ripley. You guys have seen it. Rip World Record Museum, something or other. And, uh, and then there's this, like, roller coaster, this indoor roller coaster called uh, Tomb Rider 3D. Not Tomb Raider, Tomb Rider 3D. And, uh, and so, you know, I'm like, hey, let's do that. I'm up there, I'm buying tickets. But then our daughters are like, wait, wait a minute, hold on, what's, what, what? and they're like looking inside, they're trying to, you know, because it's something with like, you get guns and shoot zombies or something. Hey, like, what, what's going to happen in there? And they're trying to peek in, and then one of them's like, hey, I'm not going on that unless I know what it's going to be like. I need to know what to expect. And so I, I start there, right? I'm going to pick up that story in a minute, but I start there, because I think that's what's happening with marriage, right? We're getting married later. Uh, we're getting married less. We're getting divorced more. And I think we're looking out. I remember, like, I, look, I'm married now. I get it. I get it. You know, what do I know about singleness? You forget. I was single, right? I remember kind of standing out here, like, looking, like, okay, do I want to do this? I don't know kind of dip my toe in the water, like, are we sure, is it forever, ever, forever, ever, ever, you know, and so, and so you kind of look at it, you're like, well, I don't know what to expect, like, unless I know what to expect, I'm not going to move that direction, and it's interesting, because what I did is I said, okay, hold on, let me go talk to the guy, I'll go talk to the roller coaster guy, so I go up, I'm like, Mr. Roller Coaster Guy, can you tell me exactly what to expect? Like, how fast does it go? Do things jump out at you? Like, what exactly are we shooting? And he just, he rolls out the blueprint for the whole ride. He's like, this is what's going to happen, you know? And, and he tells me, and so I sit them down. I'm like, hey, you know, here's what's going to happen. And they listen, right? We get on it, and we go through the ride. It lasts about five minutes, just like he said it would. We get off, and, and they say, man, that's nothing like we expected. And I'm like, well, that's confusing, because I told you exactly what to expect. And they're like, yeah, you did. And it was all the things you said and nothing like we expected. And I'm like, so you don't trust me, you know? And so here's why I say that. Because that's what it's been like to teach about marriage for 10 years. I mean, I've done probably 20 plus weddings. I've sat down in my living room, my wife and I, with 20 plus couples. I said, hey, this is what you're going to. Hey, this is what it's going to be like. This is what God says about it. I know you think you're going to be the exception. Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. You're not going to be the exception and then they get in it right and then they call me six months they call me five years they call me later and they say man it's so different than we expected but it's exactly what you said it was but so different than what we expected and so I want to help you I want to help you tonight I'm going to tell you this evening what to expect in marriage, a biblical view 
of marriage. I'm going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, the, the last part of that chapter there. It's all about marriage. I'm going to give you a picture of it. We're in this fantasy series talking about finding real love in a fake world. Here's what a fake world means. With social media telling you, hey, this is what marriage is like. With, you know, with magazines, airbrush saying this is what marriage is like. Movies and TV shows saying, hey, this is what marriage is like. Tinder and dating apps saying this is how you're married. I'm, I'm going back to the one who invented marriage. Like he made it. it, it it's his idea. Why? Why would God the creator come up with this idea of marriage? What was he doing? What was he thinking? What does he want from us? It's going to be different than you think. And as much as I'm able, I want to help you know what to expect so that when you go in there and you, you bump up against these things, you're like, oh man, he prepared me for this. God was so gracious and kind that his word prepared me for this, right? And so as we think about the fantasy marriage, we think about finding the one, our soulmate, we think about love at first sight, we think about, you know, trying to live happily ever after, you know, we're looking for compatibility, and what I would tell you is there is no compatibility between sinners, and guess what you are? You're a sinner. And, and so there's no, and I know you're like, no, 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 my boyfriend and I, we have great compatibility. Yeah, just like your last boyfriend, great compatibility, you know? Oh, wow, I didn't mean, I didn't, I didn't mean to hurt you. I'm just saying, I know you think you're compatible today, like call me a couple years into marriage and tell me how that compatibility, I liken it like this, you know? It's like oil and water. Like it doesn't mix. And what happens is when we get married, like these, these two substances, they will not mix together. And when we get married, it's like, it's like we try to mix it up, you know? And everybody comes and there's, there's oh, it's leaking a little bit. And there's, there's you know, we're white dress and cake. And, and, and they come and they're like, oh man, it looks, it looks like it's mixed. They, they go so well together, those two. So beautiful, so well mixed together. It doesn't stay that way. It's slowly over time when the, when the feels, all the feels go away, it slowly separates back to something that is not compatible. So you have to have something else working toward your favor in this, right? And I'm really com I, 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 compassionate towards you. Girls, now I know since you were four years old, man, you, you've been reading the Disney stories. You, you were a Disney princess for Halloween, right? And you've been looking for your happily ever after Prince Charming. Someone that's going to bring the glass slipper that fits perfect and take you off in a carriage forever and ever to his palace. I get that. And guys, since the fifth grade, you've been looking for someone to live out all your crazy sexual fantasies. And clean your room. <laughs> and and I, I know that. No, I, I get it, man. I, I, I understand. And I'm just telling you, it's not like that. that. Those expectations are setting you up for major failure. I, I know that our expectations are off because, you know, every couple, when I do their wedding, I have them take this test, this prepare and enrich test that... That's not like pass or fail. It just shows us what to work on. And, and they miss these questions. All, all of them, I, I believe all of them have missed these questions, or at least most of them. It says, my partner will meet all my needs for companionship. And they say, true, it's false. My partner's interest in sex will be the same as mine. And they say, true, it's false. And they say, nothing could cause us. This is a big one. Everyone is missing. Nothing could cause me to question, the art, or nothing could cause us to question our love for one another. Can I tell you something? You're going to be questioning your love for one another before you get back from the honeymoon. <laughs> like that, that's the truth. You can't go in there with these rose-colored glasses because then you're going to be thinking, man, did I marry the wrong one? Is this really working? What did I, what did I do? I believe I know everything there is to know about my partner. They said true. It's false. 
And so as we move through this series, we talked about what love really is. We talked about what to look for in a woman, what to look for in a man. Tonight we're talking about what you are actually looking for in marriage. If you want to be married, this is what I want you to know. I want you to be married. Like if you desire marriage, then I desire marriage for you. I want to help you get there. And it's a good thing. And I hope that you desire marriage. Like I'm going to show you tonight, you have two options. Like it's marriage or singleness for the sake of the kingdom. There's no other options. So you either want to be married or you want to serve Christ with your life with reckless abandon, with all that you can. You want to leverage your singleness for him. We did a great message on singleness. You can go search it, singleness. I'd encourage you to uh, on the, the porch.live or watermark.org, and it is there for your uh, learning, for your consumption. But if you desire marriage, I want you to get married. That's what I hope happens. I hope this is a space maker message. Not because I scare you off, but because you get married and have babies and stop coming. Now, I hope that's what God does tonight. And so we're talking about fantasy marriage, what to expect. And as we move through Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, we're going to talk about how to expect sacrifice and expect to sacrifice and submit, expect to be sanctified through service, and expect that it is all about your Savior, not about you, but all about your Savior. Let's dive in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You want a picture of marriage? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We can't get one line into marriage without talking about Christ, without talking about Jesus. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. You can underline submit there. It's, it's said a few times, all right? We can't get away from this. Like you, you might be thinking, man, the Apostle Paul just kind of went crazy here, and that's not biblical. The Holy Spirit took his hands off the wheel, and that shouldn't be in the Bible. Except for, it says in 1 Peter 3, verse 1, wives in the same way submit yourselves to your own husbands. And Colossians 3, verse 18, wives submit yourselves to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. So it seems like God means this, like he's serious. But let me bring some clarity to this, because it doesn't say women submit to men, and it doesn't say women submit to sin, and so if a man is asking you to sin, don't submit to him. That even rhymes for you, okay? So, so do not submit to any man who's asking you to sin. You submit to the Lord. It's not saying submit to your boyfriend. If your boyfriend's coming at you, say, quoting to you from Ephesians, I'd I, I peace out on that, okay? So that's not what this is saying. It's saying, wives, submit to your husbands, which is, you, you know, you can say it's outdated. You can say, hey, that's old school. The, the Greek, I've studied it. That's not really what it means. You'd be wrong now. Let me show you something else, though. Stay, stay put. I see your scowls. Calm down, ladies. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, what, if we were to say in a word what that's saying husbands should do, the, the best word that I can come up with is this word. Sacrifice your life. Now, those are two really big asks. Wives, submit to your husbands. That's a big ask. It's a tall order. I'll give you that all day. And then it says, husbands, sacrifice your lives for your wives. That's, that's a tall ask, too. I, I, mean, I might argue that's a bigger ask. Like, give up everything for her. And I would tell you, ladies, if he did that, submitting to his leadership wouldn't be any problem at all. So you want to say, I do, to a guy that you're confident is going to do that. That he's willing to sacrifice his life for you. And so in like our fantasy ideas, we think, you know, find the one or, or find our soulmate. But the mandates of marriage is sacrifice and submission. My first point, the mandates of marriage is sacrifice and submission. We think, you know, it's like, okay, what, what the mandate of marriage is to find my soulmate and see the world. But the scripture says, no, it's sacrifice and submission. And really what Paul is doing here is he's nodding his head at a metaphor of marriage that it is all about Jesus. That we cannot talk about this text without understanding fully what that is. And it's going to be different than what you think. 
is going to be bigger and grander and, and more amazing, incredible, and more important than you could have ever thought. And in fact, Christ is our example. When we think about submission, when we think about sacrifice, Jesus is what we look to to learn how to do that. In Philippians chapter 2, it says that Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but instead he considered himself nothing, became like a servant, and sacrificed his life according to the Father's will. He gave up everything. And so what is the ask of you when you think about marriage? It's give 100% and expect minimal in return. And let's just agree that's extremely difficult. How does anybody do that? And as you're thinking about, well, are they someone that I might spend the rest of my life with? I would ask you, how do they submit to authority? How do they deal with the Are they Like, do they have a chip on their shoulder, like their way or the highway? They think they know it all. Pride marks them. Or are they ready to come under an authority? I'm talking men and women. Because we can't forget, it says submit to each other. This is a two-way street out of your reverence for Christ. Submit to each other. And so how do they do that? This is an important idea to think through when you're considering who you might spend the rest of your life with. And so what I would tell you is to stop looking for the one. You're not looking for the one. You're you're looking for someone who has submitted their lives to the one, capital T, capital O. I know we're looking for our soulmate, someone perfect for us. You find someone and let God make them the one. There is no one. Like, you, you got to understand this. There's not a one. It's, that's a bad idea. It's a bad theology. And I'll just, I've said this. I've taught this through the years. There's lots of dating messages on our app. You can go back and listen to all of them. But to try to say this in a new way, let me just say it's mathematically impossible. There are 66 million more men in the world than women 66 million, that's a huge number. Ladies, I just heard your heart break, (laughs) you know. It's a depressing stat, I I get it. It's gonna be okay though, right? Because you're not looking for just anyone, you're not looking for the one, you're looking for the one who's already submitted his life to the one who, who knows Christ and is living for Christ, not a soulmate, but a S-O-L-E mate, one mate, a singular mate. So not a soul mate, but a soul mate, S-O-L-E mate. And so that's, that's who you're trying to find in this idea. And, and the good news is, is there's all kinds of people that you can make that work with. And in fact, whoever you marry, this is what I want you to know, whoever you marry, there will be someone better suited for you than them out there in the world. You need to know that. So that, that's kind of like hitting the pressure release valve, like, Take a deep breath. I don't have to find the perfect person. I just have to find someone who knows the one who is perfect and is pursuing them and who they're going to make the perfect person. This is good news, right? You say, well, how do I train for that? You know, sacrifice and submission. Have roommates. I encourage all my single friends, have roommates. I'd get the dysfunctional kind if I were you. That will help you for marriage, okay? Get the ones that don't do the dishes, you know? They, that will help you and prepare you for marriage. And, and if you're here and you're thinking, man, I just don't know if I'm up for, you think I'm kidding, by the way, I'm not. I've been saying that for 10 years now. I stand by it. People have come back and thanked me for that. Okay, if you live alone, I wouldn't, all right? If you're like, well, I just like to live alone, you're gonna hate marriage because there's someone always there, like right beside you, like a shadow, man. And so... And so I, I, I would get roommates. I mean, that's a great training. I would serve. I would look for opportunities to put your own selfish desires aside. To think about, hey, how can you sacrifice your desires for somebody else? And, 
And if you don't want to be married, if you're like here and you're like, well, I don't want to be married, I just, I want to present that other option to you one more time. The other option the scripture gives you is in Matthew 19, it's, it's to be single for the sake of the kingdom. It's not to sow your wild oats, to see the world, you know, to see how many shots you can take before you pass out. Like, like that's being single in the wrong way and it's a dishonoring to the one who created you and gave you a purpose. You're living outside your purpose and it's gonna leave you despairing. It's gonna leave you really sad and depressed. I don't want that for you. So you can be single so that you can go and take the gospel as many places as possible and build the kingdom or you can get married. And if you're single, live radically sold out for Jesus. That's really your only option. Live for the one who created you. And I would just tell you in this idea of sacrifice and submission, like I can do anything in a moment. I can write a love song. I can, I can write poetry, say, tell you how beautiful you are. I can even take out the trash for a minute, right? But to do that every single day of my life, over and over and over, that's what you're trying to find out. Are they up for that? Are they consistent? Are they sustaining? This is what God, this is how God loves us. It's in a sustainable, constant, ongoing, forever kind of way. And marriage is a metaphor showing the world his love, and so that's how we love each other in marriage. My wife and I, we, we disagree on a lot of things, you know, the challenges in marriage. And, and so one of those things through the years has been a big point of contention has been pets. So we haven't had any um, because I think they're pets and she thinks they're people. And, and so... Uh, we just have avoided that. But then I'm reading Ephesians 5. You know, I'm supposed to like love her as Christ loved the church. And I'm like, I think that means get a dog. And, and so I did. And primarily motivated too, in addition to that, motivated because my daughter was like, you know, I just want a puppy, daddy. I want a puppy. And so, all right. So we got, a, we got a puppy and I even let her inside. And uh, I know that's because that's what Jesus would do. And so... Um, <laughs> And so it's like I tell my daughter, Finley, who, who just loves this puppy so much, wanted her so much, you know. And um, I say, hey, you, you never have to wonder if I love you. If you ever ask for a second, like, does daddy really love me? You just look at that puppy. <laughs> because that is me laying my life down for you. you know? And it's like God says to you, hey, you don't ever have to wonder if I love you. And we, we wonder sometimes, right? When, when things get hard, we start to question, God, do you really love me? I think that breaks his heart. But you don't ever have to wonder if God loves you. It's like he's saying to you, hey, if you ever wonder if I love you, you just look at the cross. That's where I allowed my son to die on behalf of you, to purchase you to myself so that I can spend forever with you. I paid the ultimate price. And so you, you think about how permanent that is, that you've been sealed by his Holy Spirit, that he gave up what was most precious to him to display his love for you forever. Verse 26, talking about Christ in the church, it says, to make her holy, that word, to make her holy or to make holy is a word sanctification. If you ever hear that's a Christian word, sanctification just means to make holy, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands, so he's talking about Christ in the church and then he goes, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they, fed, they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. And so he's going marriage and Jesus and the church and marriage and Jesus, wives and husbands, Jesus and the church, wives and husbands, Jesus and the church. He's just going back and forth, weaving it together, giving you a clue. Hey, there's something more to marriage than you think there is. Stop listening to Cosmo or Esquire or ETV or MTV or, or The Bachelor because there's something more to marriage than you think. It's bigger than you think. And when he says cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, he's not talking about baptism. He's talking about how the word of God purifies us. 
that when we read the scripture, and maybe you think it's pointless to move through the Bible, but it's not pointless because the Holy Spirit is doing something through the word of God. He's cleansing you. And so as I lead my family, one of the things that, ways that I need to lead my family is to make sure that we are on the regular getting into the Word of God. And so if you're here and you're asking, hey, am I marriage material? Am I marriage material? I got one really simple quiz question for you. Did you spend time in God's Word today? Were you cleansed by the washing as though through the Word of God today? Did that happen and yesterday, and tomorrow, and that's just a simple step that you can take to prepare you for whatever is next and for this day. Don't let a day go by. Not in, in, a, in a form of legalism, but in a form of adoration and worship. Spend time in God's word. Like, Man, but it doesn't make sense, and I daydream, and you just don't get it, it's those big words. Hey, it's okay. Just hey, read the words, get a commentary, take your time, go verse at a time. All right, so many, there's never been more resources in the history of the world than right now to help you. You have the internet. It's amazing. And so the fantasy for us is, you know, we want to live happily ever after and have our own little play partner, our own little, little live-in handyman, you know, to fix things and I think, like, you know, girls think that marriage is, like, one long conversation. Just one not, never-ending, like, me too, me too, let me tell you about my day. Really, my life, you know. And, and guys think it's, like, one big sexual escapade, you know. There's some blend of both. But the mission of marriage, my second point, the mission of marriage is sanctification through service. Sanctification through service. So it's not sex and a long conversation. It's sanctification through service. As I said, sanctification is just a, a big theological word. means becoming holy. Bruno Mars says, you know, I, I love you just the way you are. But what marriage really does, what sanctification means, is it means change. It means that the person that you marry, surrendered to the Holy Spirit, is becoming more like Christ, that the Holy Spirit is making them more like Christ. Now, I want to be clear here. Um, you don't marry them hoping they will change. I've seen a lot of people make that mistake. Like, if they're a slob today, they're probably going to be a slob tomorrow. Um, the Holy Spirit may leave that just the way it is. I'm not sure. And so, you know, that's true in my case. Just be honest. Uh, Meaning I'm a slob, not my wife. Like, she married a slob. I mean, go look at my truck. She won't even get in my truck. Like, she's like, hey, we're taking my car. If we go anywhere, like, she's going with me. Because I'm a little messy, you know? It's just the truth. It's the part of my heart that the Holy Spirit hasn't done something with yet. And, and we're, you guys pray for me. Pray for her. You know, it's going to happen. But don't seek to change them. Because God changes them. That's God's job. This was breakthrough in my marriage. And so two years into marriage, like, we were headed toward divorce. Was not good. I was a, a complete mess and not just messy room. I mean, I was a, a train wreck. But we were believers. We, we both had trusted in Christ. We were new believers, but we were believers, Christians. And reading the scripture, and I had this revelation. It was a really simple revelation. Here's the revelation. I'm like, you know, she has the Holy Spirit. And you see, up until then, I had tried to make her who I wanted her to be. I was trying to, like I jumped into this marriage, made a covenant with God, and now I'm gonna make you into the wife that I want you to be. And it looked a lot like parenting or child rearing. And, and I realized as I'm, I'm reading the scriptures, like shame on me, that's not the job of a husband. And she's not a child. She's a grown woman. And, and she's, you know, God is at work in her life. And so all I need to do is trust the Spirit. And if there's something that I disagree with, like she tells me something that I may disagree with, I don't need to respond in such a way that's disrespectful or unloving or uncherishing to her. I can say, God, is that you? Because it might be. Because he lives in her. And so if I, my first step is, that's ridiculous, I may be telling God, you're ridiculous. And so my first step needs to be, okay, hey, 
hear, I hear you. Let me repeat it. Let me take that into consideration. And I don't need to change, like the, over the, the, the decades of our life and our marriage, the Lord will change her, making her more like Jesus. And he's changing me, making me more like Jesus. And if he's changing both of us, making us more like Jesus, then we're just going to grow closer and closer and closer and closer. That's the truth. That's reality. So I can trust God's work in her life, and she can trust God's work in my life. And so what do I need to do? I need to, especially as a single person, you need to grow a healthy appetite for service. Hey, how do I move to a place where I actually enjoy serving? Because there's this idea repeated in this text. It says in verse 28, husbands, love your wife as you love your own body. And he says that over and over and over. Did you see that like three times? He's like, care for her like you care for your own body. Right? Now, what does that mean? When I'm hungry, what do I do? That's right, I eat. You got it right. <laughs> Let's try this one, one more. If I'm thirsty, what do I do? That's right. That's right, I get something to drink. And so now I have this other person in my life that I'm to care for, and so I'm to be sensitive, in tune to her needs and desires so that if she's thirsty, I get her something to drink. If she's hungry, then I'm planning on where we're going to eat. I'm making provision in that way. I'm thinking about someone else other than myself all the time. That's marriage. Let me give you a real-life example. We, we have this king-size bed. And it's like a, we have like a knockoff Tempur-Pedic mattress, a foam mattress. And um, I love like when it's kind of cool, like fall weather, I may be the only one, but we have this thick comforter, you know, I pull back the comforter and I roll into that bed and I just like all oh, like snuggle up in there. It's just like, like I'm about to go to sleep and it's just amazing what's about to go down, you know. I'm going to pray and then go to sleep and it's awesome. And, and she gets in bed too and she's about to go to sleep and it's, it's amazing. It's just so great to go to sleep and and, uh, and so my head is on my pillow, and I'm dozing off. I'm, I'm, I'm asleep. Like, I'm, I'm there. I'm dreaming. And, and she goes, babe, are you up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am, I am now. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm cold. That's interesting. Thank you for waking me up to tell me that. I'll pray for you. No, man, I get my butt out of bed and I turn up the heat, right? You know why? Because she's cold. And that's my problem for the rest of my life. And that's marriage. If you don't like to serve, you're not going to like marriage. And if you don't want to change, you're not going to like marriage. Because marriage is about service and sanctification. That's the mission. That's what happens in marriage. Uh, ladies, I tell that story up front. Because, I, you know, we've, we've watched The Bachelor or The Bachelorette or whatever, and we, we want the, the fantasy date, the crazy, the helicopters, and the mount. And, and so I, I think there's a part of you that would love for some guy to show up in a Bentley GT Continental saying, hey, we're going to our private airplane. I planned a date somewhere. We're going to go sit candlelight by the river walk. I've got a limo for us there. And I think there's a part of you that would love that experience because there's something about our generation that is chasing experiences. We want the next experience. But do you know why I got to go on that trip? My daughter and I got to go on that trip? Because he, he had planned that as just a, a great day date. But the night before, his other daughter got the stomach bug. And so his wife had to stay home cleaning up, throw up all day. And that's marriage. 
And so, men, you think you want a trophy wife. You don't want a trophy wife. You want someone to go to war with you because life is a war zone. That's what it's like. It's hard. Everywhere you go, there's crazy. Uh, You get home from work, and there's crazy waiting on you. I mean, there's stuff thrown on the wall and kids fighting and soccer games and practices to go to and somebody got in trouble at school and you got a parent-teacher conference. Like, this is the real life. And it's cool that she's hot, but that's not helpful. (laughs) Right? Like you're looking for a partner, for a helper. Someone to help you. Both of you. I'm talking to men and women right now. That's real life. And that's marriage. And there are amazing girls all around you guys. Like some of you, man, I wish you'd wake up. It's confusing. It's confusing to me, men, that you want marriage. But, but you can't, if you want marriage, man, you, you have so much opportunity all around you. Like, take a step. And can I tell you what I do when I say that? I discourage the ladies. I know that I do. I've done this long enough to know that I say things like, ask the godliest girl out, find the godliest girl out, and ask her out. And then all the girls go home with insecurities. Well, I guess I'm not godly because he didn't ask me out. I know it happens. (laughs) I know I'm not a fool, okay? Guys, stop making me look like a fool. (laughs) I'm at at launch retreat. It's our Labor Day retreat, and I'm, I'm sitting between a guy and a girl, and and she's sharing some stories with me, and, and um, she's talking about, you know, going, uh, moving overseas to, to serve there with the rest of her life. And she's like, I just don't think, you know, God has marriage for me because I feel this, like, real calling in my life to this people group. And this guy over here, he's like, well, why don't you find a husband and then go overseas? And I think he had an ulterior motive in saying that. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And I'm kind of sandwiched in the middle, like just listening. And, and, and she's like, you know, find a husband, like someone that, that God has already called to this place and to this people and to this tribe. And, and you know, like if to find a husband is hard enough as it is to find someone with that unique calling. And she said this line. I wrote it down so I could share it with you. I hope I never forget it. She says, I would much rather move away and serve than stay here and search. She looked at him and she said, I would rather go and serve than stay here and search. And I just thought, ask her to marry you, you know? (laughs) Verse 31, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, this is so interesting that it's here. This also shows up in Genesis. There's something crazy here. If you've ever heard me talk about sex glue, I'm not going to go into detail right now because I've got message after message after message where I talk about the scientific bonding that happens during sex. That, that science has discovered, and they're really finding out what is, was written thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago in the Scripture. That God is saying, hey, something unique happens when two bond in that way. There's a bonding. They become one flesh. This is crazy. How does that happen? But it happens. It's real. And now science is saying, oh, and by the way, whenever you experience sex with someone, there's a bonding that happens there that you try to undo when you look at pornography or when you have multiple partners. You're carrying that prom date with you for the rest of your life in some ways. I told you it would separate. You see this? It separated. But you you see that that now after there was a tried to be a two become one, it's both are a little more cloudy. There's, There's particles of the water up here and particles of the oil down here that both a little cloudier. Because two attempted to become one. But they didn't stay that way. He says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. I'm using this verse from Genesis 
to explain to you about Jesus and his bride, the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, because he didn't beat that dead horse enough, and the wife must respect her husband. And so let me just say this with this verse, is there's a great book out there called Love and Respect. It's a fantastic book. I think we make everyone read it when, in their first year of marriage. And I would just, I'll summarize the entire book that women want love and men want respect. If you know that, that is a summary of that entire book, Love and Respect, and it comes straight from this verse. But I, I want you to know that this idea of sex, too, this idea of bonding is something for you to consider that God, is, he's done something unique to our bodies to help us in marriage. In fact, Chester, uh, Tim Chester, rather, in, in uh, closing the window, he said this, you can no more try out sex than you can try out birth. The very act of sex produces a new reality that cannot be undone. And so I think that we think the mystery of marriage, our fantasy, is that we get to get with someone and try out all kinds of crazy stuff for the rest of our lives. Experiences. When the mystery of marriage is not about you at all. The mystery of marriage is it showcases the Savior. It showcases the Savior. And the fantasy is that it's all about your happiness. It's all about, hey, how can I experience joy? But it's not about you at all. It's not about you just finding someone to pick up after you or to experience things with or change a light bulb. It's this reality that you get to showcase Jesus. Now listen, if, if you were Satan, if you were God's enemy, and you knew that God had placed this really powerful metaphor on the earth to showcase his majesty to the world called marriage, what would you do with it? You'd make it undoable. You know what you would do with it? You'd make it all about the people, all about the cake, all about the dress, all about the location. We took the one thing that was an opportunity to display the world to the world God's majesty, and we completely caked it in narcissism and made it all about us and our emotions in a moment. And it doesn't last. Most of them don't last. And even some of the ones that do last aren't happy, sleeping in separate rooms, throwing stuff against the wall, hating each other, dysfunctional, separating. And you've got to figure out what it really is. What if, what if, like just consider it, that God in, in his might, sovereignty, and grace loves you so much that he, ha he has you here tonight to consider this one thing. What if marriage is all about Jesus? What if it's all about Jesus, to teach you something more about Jesus or to display to the world something about Jesus? Now, you can learn things in, in singleness. You can learn about the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. I've taught that. Don't listen to that. But I'm talking about marriage right now. What if marriage is all about teaching us about Jesus? The, this, when this was written, what would happen and I've said this before, I love this idea, I can't, it fills my heart, I can't say it enough, is, is that a, a young Hebrew, a young Jewish boy, a young Hebrew boy, when he became aged to find a wife, he would leave his father's home and he would go to a foreign land in search of a bride. And he would look among God's people, like that's the, he, was, he was trying to find the tribes that worship the one true God, and he would select a wife from there. And when he would find her, he, they would toast, they would, they would pour wine in one cup, they would both drink from that cup together, and he would pay a dowry to her father. He would purchase her to himself, a, a high price he would pay. And then he would leave her, and he would go home. They're now betrothed, 
they're engaged, if you will, he would go home to his father's house and he would begin to build a room for them on his father's house because his father's estate was one day gonna be his estate. So he would build what was called the bridal chamber, the, the room attached to his father's house that they were gonna live in. And he would spend his time doing that and he's gonna return for her at an hour and a time that she doesn't know. And so she's busy making preparations for the wedding choosing her bridesmaids, all these traditions like a toast and bridesmaids, they come from this, this idea. He builds the house. When he finishes it, he goes to that foreign land to get her. And what he does is he sends word in front of him, and they would blast trumpets. They would blast trumpets and say it so that it would, it would go from one town to the next. He's coming for you. He's coming for you. They would say his name is coming for you. And so word would go in front of him and get to her. Oh, he's coming. And she would scramble, get bridesmaids ready, get the dress ready, wait for him. And he would come and he would take her to his father's house. And they would go in that room. And they would stay in there for seven days. And there was a party going on outside for seven days. Hashtag awkward. Uh, and now you see where we get the, the seven-day honeymoon, where it comes from. You see where these traditions come from. But that's not what I'm trying to tell you right now. Do you see when Jesus says, I'm going to my father's house to prepare a room for you, he's saying something so much more than what you think. He's saying, you are my bride, the church. I've paid a dowry for you with my own blood. When I drink from this cup, do you see the idea? This all existed way before your concept of marriage ever existed. When people talk about redefining marriage, you can't, we, we don't even know how to rightly define marriage. What it actually is. That it's all about Jesus. Piper says it this way, John Piper, marriage is temporary, not meaning that you can undo it with divorce, but that it doesn't exist in heaven to each other, that marriage is just a picture. And it will finally give way to the relationship to which it was pointing all along, Christ and the church, the way a picture is no longer needed when you see face to face. Like when I've been gone for a while, uh, you know, overseas or on a trip, and I get home and my wife greets me in the airport, I don't just keep staring at her picture. No, I throw the picture out and I grab her and I embrace her. You know, it's like, that's the real thing. And marriage is just preparing you for the real thing. All about Jesus, that's the truth. The pastor told my wife and I when we were, before we got married, he just said, he, he saw that we were a mess, you know, doing our premarital counseling, and he said, you guys, you've got to stop pursuing each other and start pursuing Christ together. And when he says, stop pursuing each other, he drew this picture of us just kind of missing each other. These, like these arrows, right, of, of, of us just kind of going after each other. It was manic highs and lows. Like, I love you, I hate you, you know, will you marry me? Like, that's what it was like. And, and, and so we were just kind of missing each other. And then he drew this other picture. He said, I want you to stop pursuing each other and start pursuing Christ together. And it was like this triangle. He says, because if you pursue Christ together, then for the rest of your life, you're just gonna grow closer and closer and closer and closer and closer. And do you know what I thought about that? You know what I thought? You say woo. You know what I thought? I thought that is so stupid. <laughs> I just thought that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And it was so prophetic. It was so true. He spoke those words over us. And I look back on that and it saved our marriage. It became a reality for us that as we pursue Christ together we grow closer and closer by the grace of God I've been married 14 years now and, and we're closer than we've ever been both to each other and to Christ and that is a miracle that is the work of God in summary the mandates of marriage are sacrifice and submission the mission of marriage is sanctification through service and the mystery of marriage is it showcases the Savior if you want to know what to expect in marriage expect these things because I know you're looking at it and you're scared I know you're looking at it and you're confused I know you've seen others get hurt by it 
I know you're carrying baggage. I, I mean, the statistics say that, you know, in the 60s, 7 out of 10 people in their 20s were married compared to just 2 out of 10 today. Uh, for the first time in history, the average American now spends more years single than married. The divorce rate is about 50%. And I know you, you, you're looking at this, and some of you, you're like, man, but I've made tragic mistakes, man. I looked at porn last night. Maybe that's your story. I, listen, I, I know that that's been my story in the past. I've experienced healing. Let me tell you how. Maybe it's, it's the prom date, or maybe it's the last relationship. You know you're carrying those hurts with you. You, you know that, that you're not whole. You don't feel whole. And you think, man, I don't want to get married because I'm just going to mess somebody else up. You know what's interesting about this is oil and water, they don't mix. You know the two ingredients in mayonnaise, the two primary ingredients? Oil and water. Which is confusing because with, with no, there's no amount of effort that I can mix these two together. It's impossible. Until you add something called an emulsifier. Science class would tell you what an emulsifier does is it takes the molecules of the oil and the molecules of the, the water and it bonds them together. It allows them to be mixed. An emulsifier in mayonnaise is eggs. You add eggs and the oil and the water, it mixes in a way that it couldn't without the eggs. But I, I, I end with that to give you this hope from this scripture. Jesus is the emulsifier in relationships. Like the only way two sinners can come together and be woven together and to get along forever on this earth is to have the one who died for their sins enter into that relationship and be the focus of that relationship. Am I saying that your atheist friends can't be happily married? I'm saying that your atheist friends can't even experience marriage. That what they have isn't really marriage. Because marriage was created by God. He gets to define what it is and its purpose. And he says it is all about Jesus. And so whatever someone would experience without Christ is a counterfeit version of marriage. It's not real true intimacy as bonded through the creator, Jesus. If you want real marriage, then today, right now, you put Christ at the center of everything you do because marriage and this life and you and every relationship you've ever had is all about Jesus. That's the truth. That's marriage. Father, would you help us believe that? Would you help us to take you at your word, to trust what you say is true, and to live it out according to your will? Would you redefine these ideas in our hearts and minds that the world has have placed there, the prince of this air has placed there? Would you replace them with truths, with, with deep theologies, the mystery, as you said, the mystery revealed. And understanding that you sent your only son, Jesus, to die for our sins. You raised him from the dead so that we might have a relationship with you forever and ever and ever. In his name, amen.